The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. Um, So many things are rushing through my mind. Number one, I loved this teaching yesterday, but when I read it through this morning, I didn't like it. So I don't know what you're going to get. I'm just going to tell you. This is, uh, out of several years, there's only a few Sundays that I felt this way about a text. Um, And I think part of the reason why I don't feel comfortable with it in the form that I have it um, is the fact that it's, it's unfinished. There's, there's action items, there's ways that we should practically respond to it that aren't included because that's not what John's talking about right now. He leaves it on like a cliffhanging question. And so this, the passage is unresolved about what do we do with this information. And so I've left the sermon unresolved about what we do with this information. So the only thing that I can say is if that bothers you, don't get up and leave yet. We're only, it's going to be short, so stay. Um, but we have to be committed through the rest of the letter. That's my only thing I can say, is because if we don't get the rest of what John's about ready to start to to share, when he's relaying the things about Jesus that are so important, um, we can't just take a verse or a series of verses like this and and be like, wow, that's life-changing. Because this is a passage that is just supposed to turn the light on, and it's not going to let you take time to look around yet. And so with that, I just want to remind you of what was a key passage in this letter. It's in John 20, verses 30 through 31. Um, We've read through this a lot since um, we started this passage, and it says, um, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so this letter, John, gives you the reason why he's writing it, and he wants us to get it. He wants us to understand that God has pursued us with so much love, and he is coming after us, that he's displayed himself in Jesus, not just so that we can know about God, but we can see God. 
and not just see God, but then you and I can see what it looks like for God to dwell in flesh and blood and live amongst us, which then says, wait a minute, if there's the Spirit of God dwelling in us, then we can live in flesh and blood and dwell amongst people in a way that God would do it. And so this letter is John's way of saying, if we truly see Jesus, if we truly believe in Jesus, then it is going to change the way that we move and breathe in our physical being. It's not just an inner, Jesus didn't come and take on flesh so that you and I can just have our minds renewed, like we just have right thinking, right theology. Jesus came so that we could experience what the physical body was meant to do for God's glory and honor. And so when we look at Christ, we can see a full example of everything. And so I've said this a few times. I want to say it again today. Nothing in John's gospel is there by accident. So this passage about eating Christ's flesh and drinking his blood is not there by accident. But there's so much in this passage of scripture that a Jewish person would understand but us Western-trained thinkers or, or people that have come up in the educational system outside of that culture, it's a struggle for us to wrap our minds around it because there's so much idiom and colloquialisms and word pictures and things like that that for you and I, we just take a step back like, okay, he's just talking about the Lord's Supper and I just, I'm not going to let that impact me. I'm just going to keep moving on until I get to the stuff that's easier to read. But really, what Jesus is doing for these people followers, these people that have gathered in this synagogue now in the Capernaum hillsides that have been following. And, and their motives have not been pure because why are they following Jesus? Bread. He's been giving them food miraculously, almost like the, the, the Exodus story, like the manna from heaven. And now Jesus is turning that saying, look, you only want bread, but I'm here to give you life. And I would say that there's probably a reason for a lot of us to come to church where we only want God to give us something, but we don't want him to give us life. And so here's the thing that I believe is the most important moment in this passage or the most important thought that really hit me coming out of this, that it was more than what he said. It it made a huge hole in their worldview I want you guys to understand this. What Jesus is saying here in John 6 is wrecking the worldview of his audience. In one day, in one series of teachings that then birthed over to a trip across the lake to another series of teachings, he has totally destroyed everything that they thought to be true about what their purpose in life and what the Messiah was going to look like. And so they're sitting there thinking, we love the bread, but your teaching is getting really crazy because if I actually listen to what you're saying, it's going to be totally different than everything that I've ever taught or everything that I've ever been taught. And every way I've ever been encouraged to follow after you, my life is going to be totally different if what you say is true. Because I thought that if the Messiah was going to come, he was going to establish us as the dominant people in the world. 
And that's what they were thinking. It's like they were going to be set free from their oppressors. And then they were going to rule and reign on earth the right way. They were going to be the ones lording over the other nations and being a place that people would come to experience their God, but it wasn't necessarily something that was going to be um, about God. It was going to be about what God was doing in and through them. And there's so much more that was going on in what they had been taught about this. But the people in John 6 are realizing that it is extremely costly to our lives to follow after Jesus. All right, I, I want you guys to hear that. It is extremely co- costly for you and I to follow Jesus. It doesn't cost us a penny to believe in Jesus. But it, it costs us everything to follow after him. And the thing is, is this audience was following after him because he was making good bread they were eating well, and fish were being, was being provided for them in a miraculous way, and they were enjoying it, and they couldn't wait for another meal. And some of them may not have known where their next meal was going to come from, so they were just hoping to eat twice in a week, right? And so there's so much happening in and around this, but he's destroying their worldview, and he's helping them to see that if they truly follow after him, it's going to cost them something. And it's not just going to cost them a little bit, it's going to cost them a lot. He's going to ask them to spend their time differently. He's going to ask them to treat their enemies differently. He's going to ask them to spend their money differently. He's going to ask them to invest in people differently. He's going to ask them to treat the land differently. He's going to ask them to treat governments differently. And they didn't want to learn to live differently. They just wanted bread to eat every day. And so when you walk into this particular passage, you find that their response is grumbling. It has been a rhythm in John chapter 6 is every time Jesus speaks, somebody grumbles. And I would have to say that if I'm not making some of you grumble, I'm probably not teaching like Jesus. If you come to church and you feel comfortable here and you're not really feeling like you're ever being challenged to be different or to use your careers and lives differently, that I may be missing the mark in how I'm representing Christ to us. Because if we're truly wanting to emulate Jesus, like we're not just interested in just going to heaven when we die, but we really want freedom in life and we want to know what the purpose of our life is and how we can not just benefit from God's love and grace, but we can be conduits of his love and grace to other people, it is going to at times push back against the things that we think that we need or the things that we want. And Jesus is starting to deal with that with them. And the thing is, is that this, uh, this, this group of people had an idea of what the new Moses was going to look like, and they had an idea of what the Messiah was going to look like, and Jesus is not making that, is teaching them something totally different. Many people, if we're not careful, will go to church and think that our faith and our religion is only a spiritual thing especially in the culture in our country today where we're, we're not used to praying and fasting regularly, where we don't deny ourselves physical pleasures in order to say, God, I want to desire you and you alone. So what churches generally do is we do a, a disproportionate amount of stuff called just Bible study because we're studying and learning about God, but we're really not being challenged to do anything with it. We just want to know more about what the Bible has to say. 
where in the first 400 years, the people that followed after Jesus, they had no Bible to study, and they were just telling each other, well, what, what have you heard about Christ, and how do we pray, and what's the Holy Spirit doing in and amongst us? But what we're finding here is that these grumbling people had found out that following after Jesus wasn't just a physical thing, and it wasn't just a spiritual thing, and it wasn't just a theological thing. It was a whole life thing. And we have to begin to follow after Christ with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And so what, ends, what John ends up doing here in verses 62 and 63 is take this idea of flesh and blood, eating it and consuming it, and totally wrecking their worldview with really two illustrations. And the first is the ascension of Jesus, and the second is the Spirit. So in verse 62 and 63, everything that we've, that's been said in John 6 and everything Jesus has been teaching is now hinging on these two things. And the ascension of Jesus, I believe, John is putting in here is to say to the audience that was listening to him and, that, and those that were listening to Jesus the first time he said it, and this is important, I think this is really important, is that in the body that Jesus had, he was the only human that, could, that lived well on earth and in heaven at the same time. Like, he was the only one on that hillside and in that synagogue that was perfectly at home in heaven and perfectly at home here on earth. And for the first time, that's, that's, that's ever happened since Adam and Eve, I guess, were in the garden before sin contaminated it all. And so Jesus is saying this idea of ascension, which John's going to talk about a little bit later. He doesn't get into it all right here, right now. But what he's saying to them is, is that there's something more special about Jesus just than his ability to make bread. Like he has the, he, Jesus is saying, I have the ability to be with my dad in heaven, and I have the ability to be here with you perfectly. And therefore, that should cause some things to stand out. And the second thing that's, that he brings up is the idea of the Spirit. And he's going to get ready in just a few chapters, do a lot of teaching on what the Spirit does. And what he's saying to them is the reason why you don't understand, the reason why so many of you are walking away is because you deny the Spirit. You're not comfortable allowing the Spirit of God to move in you and to dwell in you. And what Jesus was saying to them is the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst you, and that this, this Word was like the temple in the Old Testament, or the tabernacle, or the Ark of the Covenant, which were all things that the, the people of Israel knew was a representation of the presence of God. And Jesus is saying the Spirit of God is in this body. And because of that, the power of God is moving in and around and through me. And he's telling them, oh, and by the way, when you believe in me, that same spirit is then available in you. And for the first time, this generation of people is like, wait a minute, God's only in one place at one time. So if I'm with you and then you're telling me the spirit is with me, how in the world? Because what ends up happening in just a few chapters, Jesus starts sending his disciples out in twos and they're starting to do the same things that he's done in other places learning in Jesus' zip code. And they're all beginning to realize, wait a minute, what Jesus said is true. We too can be inhabited by the spirit of the living God. And, and, and like, like what we've been focusing on our gallery kids workers. Let me just talk to those of you that are school teachers here just for a minute. Can I just tell you this? When you go to school tomorrow, you can be the presence of the living God. 
Like the power of the living God can be in you when you're in that classroom with, with children that need you to be more than just their math teacher. When they need you to be more than just their English teacher, when they need you to be more than just their science teacher, or more than the counselor that you are, you are being asked to be more for them than you could ever dream of. But the power of God is in you and can do more than you and I could ever imagine. But the problem is, is we've made our faith in Jesus just a religion. And it's not life. And John 6 is just blowing out of the water this idea that our faith in Christ is just a religion. He's saying to them, it gives us access to the throne room of God, and it gives us access to the Spirit of God, and we can be comfortable in both places. So the 12 remain. Everybody else is now leaving. Now we know, and if you've read through the Gospel of John any, you know that in just a few chapters the crowds are back and he's being bombarded by the crowds again. So they're away from him this is, was temporary and many have come back or new people have now started to follow. But the 12, including the betrayer, is mentioned here as, as the ones that are still believing and are still moving in and amongst this because they are believing in the Messiah. Now, I must admit, though, when you go from having a room full of people to having just a few people, it's very discouraging for the one communicating. Now, I have to admit that there's times where May and June come around when a lot of you aren't here anymore and the room and attendance starts to dwindle because many of you are relocating and going other places. It's very discouraging to feel the rhythm and the pattern of that. But if Jesus is true, then we have got to constantly be present with him where no matter who's in the room and how many are in the room because the work is too important for us to be like, wow, where's everybody else going? And so even if next Sunday there's just 12 of you here, then we should be still talking about Jesus. And if there's 200 of you here next week, then praise God, let's talk about Jesus. But the only way we're ever going to mathematically grow is if you talk about Jesus. We've got to get to the point where we're all talking about Jesus and expressing an invitation to them. So the questions that come out of this passage is, is who's really walking away from them and who's really going to, be is going to represent him? So many are walking away. Others are saying, we want to follow after you. We want to learn what it looks like to represent you. Um, but if we stay consistent with each other and finish out this letter of John, I really do believe that you and I are going to feel life in what it looks like to emulate Jesus. And so in the next couple of weeks, the question that we're going to be struggling with is, are you offended? That's going to happen a lot. There are several things that are going to be coming up over these next several Sundays as we go up to Easter and as we prepare to go through this, because we'll end the letter of John the week before Thanksgiving. Okay, so we've got several more weeks as we go through this. And so as we go through this, the, the, the issue is going to be that thing that Jesus just said just offended me. And I am excited we're going to have those moments. Because that means that we're going to get to see where the tension between following after God and the culture of this world. Like maybe I do have a false God like Malik in my life. And I need to deal with that because I can't serve two masters, Right? And then the other side of it is, is are you all in? 
it's like this is going to become something that is really going to be a, a, a powerful push because some of you might think you're in, but you're going to read Jesus's words and realize, wait a minute, I'm really just coasting. I'm not all in. I'm like walking along the water's edge or I'm in the kiddie pool side of it when the rushing waves of God's love are over here, but I'm just trying to stay in the safety of this still pool over here. And we're going to be challenged by a lot of that. So the rhythm and the pattern that's coming is, are you offended and are you all in? And that doesn't make me feel very comfortable as a pastor because of the feeling it's going to be more of a pruning process than a growing process. But you're supposed to prune your trees in the spring, early before spring, so that when they grow, they grow stronger and healthier branches, right? So that's my anticipation for us. We are going to be stronger and healthier by the summer, even if our branches get pruned back a little bit, because following after Jesus is what this city needs. Like, there's so many things being discussed in debates locally and nationally. Some things that make me sick and th- some things that make me excited. But here's the thing. The only thing that is going to cure Baltimore is if the church is a replica of Jesus Christ. Not the church just vibrantly active in the city because a lot of things the church does in the city is not good for the city. All right? But there has never been a Jesus anywhere that didn't do good for the people around them. Right? And if you and I learn to look like, act like, smell like, do things like Jesus, there are neighbors around us, whether you're in an apartment building or in a row home or wherever you might be living right now, the people around you are going to be blessed because the presence of God is there. And that's what our calling is. And so, Father, I ask in Jesus' name that we, as your church, would truly look like, act like, walk like, smell like, speak like, rest like, pray like Jesus. Father, there wouldn't be anything in our life that would separate us from Christ. There wouldn't be anything in our life that would be selfish, that there would be a spirit of humility, that there would be a spirit of mercy and justice in us like Jesus. And Father, as we get ready to step into several weeks of some really intense teachings of Christ, the temptation for us is going to be to to either turn it off and just ignore it and just feel good in the religious activity or to walk away. And Father, I pray that your spirit keeps us bound as one in unity and that we can walk with Jesus and see Jesus and experience Christ more powerfully. And so, Father, I ask that even today as we come to the table, that we're reminded of your great love, your lavish love on us. But yet, Father, we're also fully aware that you've asked us to speak of that lavish love in our lives, that we're not just to be beneficiaries, but, Father, we're supposed to be ambassadors of it. And so, Father, would you help us to see that today more clearly? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.